episode 148 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Langer, joined again today by Brad Ford, Paul Noonan, and Ryan Topp. And guys, we finally have baseball to talk about. How does that feel? Weird. Very, very strange. <laughs> I think great. I really am happy. I know there's all kinds of issues with it, but I just didn't care. So I'm, yeah, uh, I'm on board. It was super satisfying. I mean, I definitely have. I've talked about on the podcast before about how I'm taking this opportunity to really enjoy that I'm not staying up till midnight logging minor league base her baseball scores or uh, even now that we're in the Arizona League 1 a.m. 2 a.m. at times. I've uh, been taking that for granted, but it's just nice to have that itch back. <laughs> right. And I think we can kind of just sit back the last couple of days and just kind of enjoy the game and kind of pressure free because nothing matters this year especially since they expanded the playoffs we'll get to that in a minute but i found myself surprisingly annoyed and sad that the brewers lost on friday i don't know if it was just because it was the cubs or because it was the first game or if i actually care i don't know i think that i might actually care like we waited four months for this yeah, there was a lot of that. I think that's the, the feeling. Uh, I think for me, it was that the offense didn't do jack. Like, it was like the Orlando Arcia single show. Thing. I was going to say, you you yeah. put some respect on Orlando Arcia's name there. <laughs> he always we'll get, does yeah. that. It, yeah. we, I, I want to look up. Actually, I want to look up, like, percentage of Orlando Arcia hits in games where they have, like, three hits total or something like that. <laughs> right. It's got to no be no probability. Yeah, it seems to be the provider when no one else is providing, and that's what's frustrating. <laughs> well, and it's particularly exactly. satisfying because it was at Wrigley. You yeah. know that it's just driving Bleacher Nation, Brett. It's just driving him crazy. Uh, yeah. Anything that drives him crazy is a good thing. Yes, he's insufferable. <laughs> Not <laughs> I, wrong. I to a great start. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's sorry that the Bleacher Nation account is is quite insufferable. There are a lot of good-natured Cubs fans who do good-natured ribbing. He's not one of them. But I was over that game by the fifth inning when I realized that Hendricks was just on that day, and it was just going to be that kind of game. The only hope for the Brewers that game is if uh, David Ross actually took him out, which he didn't, which is not a great sign. So (laughs) it is what it is. (laughs) It is what it is. We'll get more uh, Cubs-Brewers talk in a minute, but first, let's take care of the business. We are, again, sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. You know they're great beers like the flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. The next time you're in Madison, stop by the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard on the east side. You can also get a 20% discount on some Carbon 4 merch online just by listening to this podcast. Go to Carbon4.com and use our promo code MKETailgate when you check out. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also support our podcast network at Patreon.com slash MKETailgate. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. You also get Paul's reporting as eligible Packers mini pods as well. Uh, now that that's out of the way, we can jump right back into the baseball talk. We've got a lot of thoughts on the first couple of Brewers-Cubs games. Full disclosure, as we record this, we're we're doing this before Sunday's game, so we won't have anything on that. So we're going to focus mostly on the first couple of games. So with that in mind, baseball's back. No fans at Wrigley. Was it kind of weird for you guys watching the games with no fans around? I think the weirder thing was seeing the fans in the rooftop. Yes, that was weird. Like that was really weird, and especially I know the Cubs can't control it, but like there was not always great social distancing going on up there. It it was like an on display of bad behavior to some extent, just outside. It it was weird. Like 
I don't know. I, I didn't like it. <laughs> Not a well, fan. Remember, the Cubs do own some of those rooftops. Now, I don't know they if do. specifically they own those, but this wasn't just a problem at Wrigley. There was also the Nationals game. They were showing people on top of that was it Hampton Inn or whatever were all hanging out up there watching the game from on high, and they were not social distancing either. So I think this is going to be an ongoing issue where people are going to try to sneak peeks and then the broadcast is going to show them in a probably less than ideal setting, context-wise. Yeah, it's a thing that's going to happen. Yeah, I think part of it is maybe they're just looking for any sort of human face to show, so they keep going back to it. <laughs> True. Yeah, but I'm sure, you know, the other stadiums where you can uh, get peaks from the street or whatever, uh, that'll probably continue throughout the day, or throughout the season, I should say. One of the weird things without fans that, I think got a lot of attention on Saturday was the Fox national broadcast experimenting with the fake digital fans, which basically pulled the crowd from PlayStation and threw them into a live action setting, which is kind of <laughs> jarring to see. It leads us to our first Patreon question from PJ Wessels. Is this straight up fake fans or no fake fans? I know uh, a couple of you didn't see the, the Fox broadcast, but I know ride you did. What were your, what were your thoughts? Big thumbs down. Very creepy. I have, settled my issues with the fake crowd noise and i do kind yeah, of that's prefer not bad. no and i do kind of prefer that in baseball so unlike with european soccer they're just putting it on the broadcast whereas in baseball it's actually in the stadium like they are broadcasting crowd noise to the players so that they are hearing it which seems more organic to me it seems more real i guess it it was a little bit weird but honestly it was weirder without it, having watched a bunch of European soccer without the crowd noise. And then when they started adding it, it made it better. It just felt a lot more normal. And you, you as long as you're not actively thinking about it, it allows you to sort of sus suspend your disbelief in a way that's right. good. So I, I like that. But the fake fans, I mean, there's they don't look real. They just look creepy they look and unsettling. Yeah, I mean, it's very dystopian. Like, this is very <laughs> running man, as somebody pointed out to me like, in my like, Twitter feed. When they announced it, I, I put up some jokes of just some 8-bit shots of crowds from old Nintendo. <laughs> yeah. And it's not far enough away from that. <laughs> no, like, it's not. Uh, it's, uh, like, the joke was, wasn't as funny as it should have been because it, it was, like, PlayStation 2 graphic level. Yeah, it wasn't even, like, like next-gen graphic. Yeah, yeah exactly. so not great. It's really creepy. Unless they either up the realism or let me control one of them, I'm not on board. <laughs> <laughs> what I hate about it is like you see 14 of like the same guy all in like a diagonal line, and you're right. just like, I can't take my. I I didn't see the broadcast, but when they were doing even just the testers, where they have it in like its perfect form as they're doing like the PR cut of it, and I'm like, but that's the same guy all the way up there. He just has a different shirt on. And for they're me, all, like yeah. watching the no fan game on opening day wasn't bad. I thought I was going to be much more jarred by it. I kind of liked the college aspect of the player of hearing the players cheer their guys on. I liked the energy that you got from that. I liked being able to hear more of the field sounds. So there were aspects of that that I really enjoyed that I thought were going to be a little bit more difficult to get along with for it not to be that bad to feel compelled to add in 14 Daves in a single row <laughs> all doing the same motion at the same exact time oh, yeah. too. like they couldn't even time up it, it's just really weird and then they try to zoom in or the, the closer up angles and you can literally see they're just hovering over the chairs and the fake sitting position and it's not positioned well at all and it's 
I think I just prefer the cardboard cutouts, honestly. Yes. Yeah. More cardboard cutouts, less of yeah. this weirdness. Did you guys see? I think it was in a Ye the Yankees Nationals game. Somebody almost decapitated a cardboard cutout. No. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Took, awesome. it, took it right through the, the head and neck and, like, yeah, basically <laughs> just about ripped the head clean off. Like, it was kind of hanging there a little bit. Did so. it get an expanded netting hashtag going? Oh, man. <laughs> well, and they're talking about some teams are actually collecting baseballs that hit the cardboard cutouts, and they're going to yeah. send them to the people. So, Oh, that'd be cool. Send me my head too, you know, if I get decapitated. <laughs> That's it's a great creative idea. More creative yeah. ideas like that. Less yeah. uh, less fake electronic fans. Well, I yeah. think the A's, unlike the Brewers, they had two options. One was like you could be behind home plate and that was the cheaper option. And the other was you could be down the foul lines, right? And the idea was if you get hit on the foul lines, then you get the ball and that's why it's more expensive is because, uh. okay, we might actually send you a souvenir. Right. Excellent. I like that better than just the Brewers are only doing the upper bowl, right? So there's, I don't think they sold any behind plate, did they? No, I get not using behind the plate because that's where you put like some of your media people and use to spread out some of the extra players, right? Sure. But to not yeah. do the loge level, to not do the bleachers, to not fill up your stupid new area that took out 400 bleacher seats. <laughs> <laughs> like They should definitely do it in places that are visible on camera. Like that, that's yeah. kind of the point. Like, you want to see your cutout on camera, right? Like, yeah, I don't I get show. why up in the 400 level, they have to send a camera up there specifically to monitor to that. that. Yeah. Like, why right. are why are you doing that? That's weird. Maybe it's specifically because they're like, well, we got to pay Steve, and he's on the roaming camera, and obviously he can't be on the field or getting the players. So, God, I guess we'll send him upstairs. <laughs> Damn it, Steve, go upstairs. He's on the cardboard beat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is God. also by the Euchre statue, so there's that. But it like, is, uh, yeah. But that, you, you would want it to be for, more visible. Yeah, that's cute for a one-shot photo op. After that, it, it's who cares, <laughs> right? Yeah, it'd almost be like I'd rather there be like a bidding premium to get the euchre seats, and then like okay, whoever won the bidding premium gets that, and then every now and then we feature that, while the rest are where fans would be. I right. mean, fans yeah, are obviously in the four twenties all the time. It's actually a pretty yeah. good section to sit in, but yes, it is. 422, baby, for life. <laughs> I had a 423 for my only 20-game package, and it was awesome. But also, when you get up there early game, it's the place where no one's getting food. Right. That Pro is true. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, I guess in summary, more cardboard cutouts, please less fake, creepy, digital yeah. fans. Digital more computer. special effects, not computer yeah. special effects. More cats. Yeah. More cats. <laughs> Because the Brewers did the pet thing, because people yeah. are like, can I please bring my dog to the park? And uh, which I can't get why that was the thing a lot of people worried about the most was like, I'm missing Bark in the park. It's like, uh, that's your yeah. biggest concern about baseball coming back. It was legitimately yeah. some people's like go to. Was that really which, a thing? People were mad yeah. that Bark in the Oh, my God. I don't I, I don't think they were all. mad about it, but they people were. People get upset about things. They yeah. were like, well, how this is like my special moment of the year. How do I get my poochie in there? And I respect dog lovers. I'm I'm more of a cat person because I, I appreciate eight pounds on my lap more than 50 on my lap. It's just a comfort thing for me. <laughs> but it, it was one of those things where I'm like, why is this the thing we're worried about most? It was at least cute when the brewers offered the animal option. That's a cute PR thing to do, right? But, yeah. <laughs> Especially when you have 12 Hanks, yeah.
Uh, <laughs> gotta have Hanks. They gotta have them numbered in like jersey numbers in a single row, and that's just how they admit it. Or like they should exactly. be treating it like a conspiracy theory and doing more fun. Like you have different stages of Hank hidden that you show every. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the the interplay between McCall McCal- is definitely Hank? Yeah. I was gonna say, did you see the interplay between uh, McCalvey and, and Andy Schaff about uh, yeah. about his dog? <laughs> <laughs> that was fantastic. Go look it up. It's it's it amazing. Great. It was great. All right. Uh, let's turn to actual baseball now, uh, the stuff happening on the field. So as of recording this, the Brewers and the Cubs split the first couple of games of this first series of the year, as we talked about. Friday pretty much sucked. I don't know if there's much else to talk about there other than Kyle Hendricks was really on and the Brewers' bats weren't. Brendan Woodruff looked okay, I guess. Pop 99 a couple of times, but didn't get a lot of swing and misses, which I don't know. Is that concerning to you guys? It is to me. Like, just the the extent of him not missing bats was pretty extreme. It's not that concerning because it's first game. It's against a really good lineup. But, I I mean, I I feel like it could have been a lot worse for him than it was. And I'll, I'll be very interested to see how he does in the next one. And hopefully he misses quite a few more bats. I think he was just a little erratic to the point where his or with his two best pitches to the point where they weren't really forcing people to make mistakes. And that's where it seemed to me was like normally Brandon Woodruff puts a pressure on you to with how he is controlling his stuff to then swing over the top of uh, his better pitches. But the, like the fastball was errant so they could just sit on it and it's a patient lineup. I think if he wasn't having a control issue day, it would be more concerning to me, but because I saw that the control was off, it was fine. I was expecting better though, because he did look so good in summer camp. Like he came out and he looked on fire in summer camp and then to come out and struggle with command. Obviously there was also some nitpicking that we'll talk about that caused issues in different ways. But I think that was more of an issue for me than then I was concerned about the lack of swings and misses because even too like that first inning really must have worn on him. I mean, you come right. out, you have a, yeah. an 11, 12 pitch at bat against Chris Bryant right away. That's got to wear on you when you're coming out and you're already kind of juiced for that moment. Right. And you can't get him to swing and miss at anything in that first at bat too. He just followed everything off. That's got to be frustrating. And then kind of plays into everything else down the line right and then to the cubs credit they're a very good lineup very patient lineup every game against the cubs is like a slog because outside of javi baez there's nobody that really just hacks away willingly right so yeah he really stands out in that lineup like because nobody else (laughs) behaves that way at all they they went out of their way to find patient hitters like extremely patient hitters so maybe schwarber sometimes but schwarber takes a lot of walks though he's he's fairly patient but he'd be probably the next most strikeout prone outside of Baez. otherwise you're looking at a lineup that really does and if that's like your best next scenario you're kind of (laughs) screwed yeah strikeouts can come from different things you have guys who are like Baez who strike up because they're free swingers and then you have a guy like say schwarber who strikes up because he just works a lot of deep counts and gets fooled on you know the sixth or seventh pitch of the at-bat it's a different reason one thing i don't want to get lost here is kyle hendricks is a really damn good pitcher and yeah. i think people forget that i was just looking at this since the start of 2016 he has a 144 era plus 144 era yeah. plus his worst era plus 
since the the start of that was 121. So I mean, we're talking about a guy who's who's well above average, and I think it, maybe it's because the stuff isn't really great. Like the velocity isn't great, I should say. Like he has right. a he good mix of 90. pitches. No, right. And well, he he isn't your traditional good pitcher. He's not Luis Castillo. He's not no. going out there and he doesn't have extre- extreme movement with 98 miles per hour. He just has extreme movement and deception that that's why guys like Ethan Small end up being exciting yeah. for the Brewers is because you see someone like Hendricks dominating off of movement and deception and you get mm-hmm. excited from those two combinations. But it was one of those things where he had all pitches working, locating perfectly from the right. get go. That changeup like, was moving like none yeah, other, just totally was, dropping out of the zone. It was not fair. And he so, was putting it wherever the, he wanted too. like, yes. it was really like he was dotting everything. And that's a hallmark of his. I mean, you look at since again, 2016, 7.7 strikeouts per nine, which is definitely kind of outlierish in this day and age of guys missing a lot of bats, but he's only walking two batters per nine. So he's got almost a four to one strikeout to walk ratio, which is outstanding. You want those numbers to be as far apart as possible. And he really does it. And yeah, it's, it, it isn't sexy and it doesn't get headlines, but man, he is just really, really, really good. Do you know why else we don't treat Kyle Hendricks as, as good as he is because of Kyle Kendrick. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> a, a much worse fit pitcher for the Phillies for from 2007 to 2017, um, who has almost the same name, but is not nearly the same pitcher. I think they brought um, it up on the broadcast on Friday that he actually shut out the Brewers on an opening day or, or something like that, too, <laughs> which is insane. But yes, Kyle Kendrick, not so great. Kyle Hendricks. Yes. And, and you hear Kyle Kendricks or whatever. Yeah, he, you just get easy to get mixed up. It's like all yep. the Anderson pitchers are all the same to me. Chase, Brett, whatever. They're all the same. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the last time I'd really seen Hendricks, he wasn't healthy. So I thought him coming up, up after being beaten up, I was expecting a pitcher of his velocity to be a little bit more shaken from that. And I was just dead wrong. And he healthy Hendricks is back to form and mm-hmm. he's nasty and he's tough. Right, and he was just so efficient that entire night where it was hard to get deep in account against him, but when you did get deep in account, that's when you were screwed, right? Like, that's when he just dotted that changeup or whatever, which maybe is why RC is the only one that had any success against him because he went, like, what was it, three for three on literally four pitches. He just saw <laughs> fastball, he took it, and, you know, maybe that was the route to go. But Right, yep. here the Brewers are trying to be patient, and it's actually working against them. <laughs> exactly. So something else I think we all wanted to keep an eye on going into the start of the season. A lot was made of the Brewers kind of losing the pitch framing aspect of Yasmani Grandal behind the plate. And Omar Narvaez is, you know, if he's comparable offensively, he is not comparable when it comes to pitch framing. And I think Mm -hmm. we might have seen that a couple of times in these first couple of games, but also it. It's a CB Buckner crew that they're working with, so who the hell knows, right? So I guess my question is, from what you've seen so far the first couple of games, are you worried about the pitch framing? Because we saw both Woodruff and Corbin Burns kind of get jobbed on a couple of close calls, or are you just chalking it up to bad umpiring? I think there's a combination going on there. It definitely doesn't help when you have CB Buckner behind the plate for the second game of the year. Like That's that's not ideal because he is one of the very worst umpires in major league baseball but i also did see narvaez actually make a a 
a few good framing moves. The the big thing is you have to be there's a an element of stillness that has to be there, and he still seems a little like jumpy back there. And yes, he does. That's he the... was pretty clearly pulling back on a couple of them, right? And you're never going to get that call. Can't do right. that. Yep. Yeah, and it it'll actually cause umpires to not give you a call that you should get sometimes when yep. they think you're like overplaying it that way because they're trying to correct backwards for what seems pretty obvious to them. So it is a little bit concerning, but I did see him. He stole a a, a nice one for, I think it was Burns. I was trying to look back in my... Uh... Burns got a couple of very beneficial calls that I think I would have personally chucked, chucked up to Buckner. I think there was one where, I forget who was batting for the Cubs, but they literally it was such a delayed call. Oh, it was yeah. Very clearly a ball. And he just looked at him like, really, man? But but yeah, Narvaez has pulled a couple back, too, especially for Burns. That kind of thing helped him out. Well, and that's they are really betting on Charlie Green's ability to work with him and develop that skill and to make him better than he was. And it's not that he necessarily is ever going to be good at it. It's you don't want him to be terrible at it. You don't want him to be so far from the major league average that it's actively hurting you if you can get him back to just kind of slightly below average or something that would be a big win considering how good the bat is this is not a good series to sort of evaluate framing Buckner also but also you've got Wilson Contreras on the other side who is like as bad of a butcher um, at framing (laughs) and in kind of in a similar way after watching them they kind of remind me of each other where when you watch Lucroy do it it would be that he would sort of set up his glove on the outside he'd take it on the outside part of the glove and the glove would just funnel it back into the middle. Um, And that's kind of how you do it with stillness and holding it. And those guys are both just moving all over and, and trying to like pull it back in, in very obvious ways. And it's like someone explained like a four sentence summary of what framing is, but none of the subtleties of it to both of them and just said, go try and fool (laughs) umpire. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of worried about it, especially in this sort of era where I think it's, it's more difficult to teach subtle skills without that uh, sort of up close coaching you're gonna miss out on with covid <laughs> uh, i don't know um i i'm worried about it it's not a huge deal because it's a short season for, and they'll be fine but it, it's definitely a knock from watching grandel last year and being awesome at it too well especially after having to see grandel right at, before the season right and then you're like yeah. oh god i miss uh, it right yes uh but for me i definitely saw a like the ones I saw that were most egregious on Narvaez, it was still a bad call by Buckner. Cause I only saw the Woodruff visually. I listened to parts of the Burns yeah. game, but I, in terms of visuals, I only saw the Woodruff. And I remember one where it should have been a strike three top right corner, 96 and Narvaez catches it and pulls it back, but it was, it caught the corner regardless. And yeah. it didn't really matter on his movement, but at the same time, you got to help your pitcher out and hold it there. You got to hold it right where you caught it and get that yeah. call. So it's it was definitely a combination of both when it comes. Also, down to that. I I would wager framing is probably more important with guys like Buckner behind the plate than with actual good umpires <laughs> who are, are are more trained to you know watch what's actually happening in front of them and pay less attention to being like they're less apt to be fooled by this. I mean, one of the reasons Buckner is bad is because he is not focusing on what's actually happening and being distracted by all this nonsense of moving and framing and blah, blah, blah. So it might not hurt him as bad with better umpires, frankly. Like, this is one where um, it can get away from you because they'll punish you for it. They'll go out of their way to, to, to react backwards to you trying to fool them. Right. 
I actually kind of wonder how much no fans affects the umpires too, right? Like, do you think guys like Buckner <laughs> kind of take the context clues from the crowd? Like, oh yeah, they got the the corner third strike, or I don't know. It's something maybe that just popped in. I don't know. Maybe he's sitting there thinking, who the hell am I going to impress? There's no one to cheer me when I eject <laughs> right. someone. <laughs> right. Well, Buckner's well, I... never been that guy. I think one of the things that like the players actually like Buckner. They don't like his umpiring, but like he is personally a a, a decent human being it's not like the angel hernandez situation where he magnifies some bad issues with his game calling by being a total jack wagon right like that's that's right. a big part of it no, is you're completely right even if an umpire is better sometimes it, it almost doesn't matter whether or not the guy is like really good or bad at their job if they are just personable and decent and not have an itchy trigger finger to eject people for arguing that kind of stuff will it, it will cause less problems than just like a good umpire who when he does have a bad call and somebody criticizes it if that guy goes off then there's going to be a bigger problem i think that's why i hate joe west a little bit more than angel hernandez because i always feel like he's much quicker to blow like uh -oh. angel hernandez is just awful and in all forms but joe west is angry awful <laughs> oh he's looking to to insert himself into the game like that thing yes. last year where somebody a pitcher was looking at a card that had like uh, a scouting report and he told the pitcher to stop and like that if he kept doing it he was going to eject him even though it's not really a rule he just like made it up and decided that you can't look like into it. You can't look this into your hat gonna, for a scouting call report. Joe West. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. So I guess bad umpiring aside, we talked a little bit about Brandon Woodruff's shaky short start, but oddly, I think Corbin Burns' short start was a little bit more encouraging, even though they were both short starts, right? Saturday, it was kind of our first look at the new Corbin Burns after you know, all that time in the pitching lab. It was kind of our chance to see how that new stuff would play in, a, in an actual game setting. So we ended up pitching into the fourth inning, was a little bit more wild than I think we've seen Corbin Burns before, you know, like we've always talked about Burns's issue is working too much in the zone. Right. And this time he actually hit a batter. He walked three guys. So he was, <laughs> I mean, he was, he, did. That's, he started out the good sign is like, that's he a good a sign. He hit a guy. <laughs> I mean, I, I did have this tweet during the game because you know, you know me, I'm you know, hashtag cuckoo for Corbin leader of the fan club here so i was like trying to rationalize it It was like well you know that four pitch walk wasn't bad because it shows he's no longer living inside the zone which is so kind of like I, tongue in cheek but at the uh, same yeah. time i mean he he didn't try to blow guys away strictly in the zone right so i guess is that something we can take from this and, and as an encouraging sign as someone who didn't watch it was everything not high <laughs> no Okay, no, then I'm happy. Not, not, not really. I mean, he he still annoyingly pitched fastballs low in the zone. Uh, he tried yeah, he to did. elevate a couple of them. So th there were still a few, but then he got, I think it was Rizzo on a fastball that was just kind of buried in the dirt. So I was like, hey, if you're going to pitch low, at least keep it, it out of the zone, right? Down. Yeah. 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 He was throwing that cutter in the zone as sort of his bailout pitch like when he needed to throw a strike yeah. in the zone yep. that cutter was what he was throwing and that seems to be a much much better idea than his arrow straight fastball yeah. yeah indeed well and the cutter is nice because it has the similar movement to the slider and one of the things you're trying to protect yourself against is the slider so when you're trying to predict that movement 
it it's more beneficial on the attack in that way because you're catching people off guard when they're prepping for your most dangerous pitch. Yep. I, I still like have this in my head narrative of just like a coach being really frustrated with what Burns will listen to and what he won't of like, all right, so you're throwing the cutter over the plate. That's fine. Stop throwing the fastball down. No, stop it. No, stop it. No, stop it. And occasionally he'll throw one high and then he'll go back to throwing it down again. And, you know, they'll tell him to work around the edges, but he gets wild when he's not throwing in the strike zone. Uh, it, it was encouraging because it was different, but it was still weird. And I, I'm not quite sure what to make of it, but I, I do I do like the uh, the pitch with movement as the bailout pitch in the zone versus the super duper straight fastball. So it, that's something that's that's I, worth building on. I can't agree with that assessment of him, though, because that's fine. Even, I just made it up in my head. It's totally he, fake. Yeah, <laughs> not true at all. He's probably more of a signature of how well this or the good this system has done at developing pitchers because he it was the guy who came in with bad mechanics overly aggressive arm side tilts a bad arm angle and kind of inconsistencies in his movement and all of that has been cleaned up that shows an incredibly coachable guy and i think that's what scares me more about him is that he's incredibly coachable so if they told him to throw his fastball up i feel like he would be doing it so are the brewers not telling high spin rate fastball guys to throw it up because that seems like a huge error on their side and i think that scares me even more so yeah, that would be more scary if they weren't picking up on Absolutely that. Absolutely, it would. But I can't imagine, like, we all know, this is not, like, a secret. This has been talked about on right. fan graphs. It's been talked about by Brewers fans. I mean, and this other had... Brewer pitchers do it, so it right. burns his fault. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't imagine that he's not hearing it. So then the question is, what's the holdup? I mean, is it a question of when the chips get down, he goes back to what feels comfortable and what he's been doing for his his whole life and that's why we see particularly burns be, yeah. last year it really was yeah i think burns last year we really saw it a lot where he would be pitching really well and would be flying along and things would be looking really good and then he'd get into some bit of trouble and he would just compound that and it would it, it, like i felt like every single time that man had two met runners on base somebody was hitting a dinger like without right. fail that just was gonna happen and that it, it could be tied to when the chips get down, him going back to mama, basically, like what feels comfortable. Right. And I think they did bring that up. I I think it was the opening day game with Hendricks. You know, the, the announcers were kind of talking, you know, young pitchers, especially when they get into trouble, tend to try to throw it harder, harder, harder. And I think you could kind of see that maybe with Burns where he ran into trouble last year. He'd try, try to pump a fastball by somebody and then like you said it's a three-run homer in his start on saturday he did that first bit of trouble he had a couple of guys on he was facing wilson Contreras, and he just it was a low fastball that he missed on it was kind of center cut as as brad likes to say but instead of it going for a three-run homer it was an rbi single so and really the guy should have been thrown out at home if ben gamble had any kind of good throwing arm what the <laughs> hell was that that was I mean, a really bad. That was a Ryan Braun esque throw. I mean, it was bad. That was like Johnny Damon's stuff right there. Like my God, that thing just like fluttered up there. I thought it was gonna yeah, like fall out of the in sky, the air, and it was up the first baseline. It wasn't. It wasn't good at all. Uh, Chris Davis. Exactly. Exactly. But I think one of the encouraging things we saw from Burns on Saturday was he didn't treat his fastball as a strikeout pitch. There was one at bat that really stuck out to me. It was the Javi Baez at bat where he literally threw him one fastball 
and the rest, it was literally four sliders on the outside corner. He got him swinging. Granted, it's Javi Baez, but at the same time, we right. didn't Javi see Baez is still a good hitter, right? Exactly, like, exactly. And there was he, then there was another at bat where I think the next time Javi came up, it was another 0-2, and he just kind of stuck his bat out and hit it the opposite way. So like Javi Baez is capable of doing that if he has to, but. I think that at bat stuck out to me because it was a it was a sign that he kind of ditched the fastball first mentality. He was pitching around his slider. And if you actually look at his pitch breakdown from Saturday, he threw 75 pitches, 23 of them were four seamers, 19 were the cutters. So even this fastball distribution, it's not just the straight fastball. He's throwing the cutter almost as much as he is throwing his four seam. And then they gave him credit for 15 changeups, which I don't think we saw very much at all. He was very much a fastball slider guy in the past and then 17 sliders and seven curveballs too so he kind of switched up his repertoire based on righties and lefties too which i think is also an encouraging sign it's sort of much less the reliever mentality that he had last year and more kind of a starter get through three four innings type so that is really huge because people don't necessarily get that that like especially with some starters their stuff guys who have a lot of pitches can really be very different pitchers against right-handers and left-handers and you need to sort of treat it separately and to be an effective starter to be able to turn a lineup over two or even three times you have to have that ability to get both righties and lefties out and usually in different ways now there are some guys who who can just get guys out Lance Lynn you know is, is kind of the same pitcher no matter what but there usually needs to be some way to get the different batters out and so it is encouraging to see him sort of broadening his horizons that way. I like that he's, instead of relying on the slider to set up, he seems to be relying on the data that we have on his changeup to help set up with his cutter. I like that those are the ones that he's getting to the advantageous positions at, whereas before it was like, I'm going to use my slider to set up my fastball, then my fastball to set up my slider. And it's like, please stop. (laughs) They're all (laughs) going to the same place. So no one's concerned. You have great spin rate. You have great movement. Yeah, you have great spin rate on the fastball that stays completely straight. But just take advantage of that. And it's nice to see that he kind of is. Yeah, I don't know what the spin rate on that cutter is, but he uncorked a couple that were just beautiful and nasty. I think Pitching Ninja even like highlighted a couple of them just because they were right on point and they moved so much. It was not quite Mariana Rivera cutter, but it, it's really hard to when you have that coming in at 93, 94 to separate that from the fastball and, like Brad said, the change up too. So I think overall kind of a really encouraging outing, of course, he had some encouraging outings in the past before too. And the issue was the consistency. So I think the key will be to see where he goes from, yeah, from now I mean, on. He only I went think... three innings. So it's not like he went, you know, super right. duper, duper deep through the order multiple times too. Right. Uh, he wasn't super efficient. So I think that's kind of the next thing too. Yeah. But again, I don't know how much of that is. We were talking before we went on. This Cubs lineup is still no joke. You know, like they've been disappointing the past couple of years, but they will yeah. grind out at bats as we saw with Woodruff, first at bat of the year, 11, 12 pitches. And then from there, you're just kind of working from behind and throwing off your game plan, right? So, And what I, he presented I, looks like it'll be successful in the bullpen. When they tried to shift him to the bullpen right. last year, he still had issues. Whereas this looks like, okay, if he can't succeed on the rotation, he at least looks like he'll be 2018-type Corbin Burns in the bullpen again. Right. The process was good, at least, right? So we can kind of take that as encouragement too. speaking of process, I guess the Cubs process of 
rundowns not the best (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to highlight this because it's just hilarious and i like making fun of the cubs but also it's the second time lorenzo kane did this to the cubs in like two or three years uh talking about the the rundown he basically got out of uh, on saturday uh, where basically everybody ended up safe and he should have been dead to rights and i don't know it's maybe just a sign that is is it the so-called veteran presence or is it just smart base running or is, are the Cubs just dumb? Lorenzo Cain is what people think Javi Baez is and uh, it's even better because he proves it against Javi Baez's stupid swipe tag um, <laughs> reputation. So that's, that's what it is. He's, he's a genius on the base paths. So it's great. I think what's, I mean, he has stated like, this is something they trained and trained and trained with the Royals, right? Where like you get in that situation, you you (laughs) run until it looks like you can have the most beneficial situation where I know the Royals doing something smart, weird. Well, it's a very Ned Yost Yost taught him this. Yeah. It's a very Ned Yost (laughs) smart thing though. It's like a small ball, small incremental, barely worth it thing to do that happens to pay off once in a while. Something that has come up two times in Lorenzo Cain's three years and worked against the same Team. but it's so funny to watch him like how he's the only one with knowledge of how to take advantage of the situation he's in the rundown he starts yelling at his own player to go back to first base it like points it out and he's doing all the shot calling to yeah. get them to fail yeah. and he has it mastered down <laughs> to the point where they still should have had him and then they start chasing yeah. after the runner going back to first like who cares <laughs> he gave up second yep <laughs> It's just, yeah, I mean, the screen caps of literally five Cubs converging around Locaine at second base while he's pointing back is just, it, it it's remi- priceless. It's great. In like 2014, 2013, there was the gift that it would always go around of the Cubs all standing, looking at each other, and then the pop fly landing in the middle of them. <laughs> and it's that every single time. It's so good. I'd rather have him out there than Ed Cedar, too. So hopefully that's in his future in the, you know, five years from now. Kane is a really, really smart ball player. That is something that gets lost because a big part of why he's so good in center field is not just because he's fast. Like he is, and he can legitimately run down balls. And when he gets going at full speed, he's really good. But the jumps he gets, if you sit and watch, hopefully mm-hmm. we will be able to see him in person again. And if you sit <laughs> and watch him react to baseballs, he is moving on the pitch before the batter is even swung a lot of times because he knows that if the batter is going to make contact with such and such a pitch it's going to probably be in this direction so he already gets his body going a little bit in that direction so he's already moving before like the batters even had a chance to make contact with the ball it's like a really good rebounder in basketball right you can already see when the shot's going up before it even hits the rim where it's going that's yeah. A good comp. yeah, very like Dennis Rodman like, right? But this, oh, yeah. is some, like, this is something that I appreciate when they had Ben Gamble mic'd up. So when they had Gamble mic'd up, he talked about kind of his strategy when it comes to this and that he'll actually like watch the zone. He says he like won't watch the ball coming out of the pitcher's hand because he can't pick it up from where he is. But he'll watch the zone and watch the bat path and try to get jumps on that. And it's just Lorenzo Cain does that process that Gamble walked us through better than everyone else. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of Mike Cameron. Mike Cameron was that way, too. Like, just amazing, amazing jumps on the baseball. We've been blessed to have a lot of good center fielders defensively that way to watch over the years. That's kind of an underrated like quote-unquote old man skill, right? Like, Mike Cameron was able to be a successful center fielder 
until he was 36, 37, 38, right? Like, Even after he'd clearly lost a few steps. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's not just dependent on speed, which I think when the Brewers signed Lorenzo Cain to that long-term extension, they're like, he's going to be 37 still trying to play center field. But I think that's part of the reason why maybe you're less concerned about his lack of speed is just the knowledge that he has in center field and on the base pass, as we saw. You know, there a lot of old man tricks, so to speak, but it's stuff that works and kind of helps compensate for the lack of speed as you go forward. So. And it's also part of what makes him so endearing because he's definitely got that Danny Glover from Lethal Weapon. Like, exactly. I'm too yeah. old for Whenever this he shit, has to like, run, he's affect. just puffing and puffing like I'm too old for this shit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think he actually said that, too, last year when uh, Yelich sure. drove him in with a double, and he's like, yeah, maybe yeah. next time hit it over the fence, kid. Like, yeah. <laughs> Any, anytime Yelich drove him in from, like, first base, like, hit it over the fence next time. I can't do that. I've got three kids. Can't go first to third. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just want to highlight that because that was, that was an extremely fun part of the day. And, yep. you know, even though he's hitting lower in the lineup, I, we'll get to that in a few minutes here but he's still definitely i think one of the bright spots from the first couple of days he looks good so yeah it'll be interesting to do that you can tell he's playing healthy now right like you you can see it in his swing the ball a couple of times exactly exactly uh so we we got some questions about the lineup and stuff that we'll get to in a minute but first i i wanted to also kind of touch on this because it does affect the brewers pretty significantly is major league baseball just up and deciding that basically everybody makes the playoffs this year. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like literally, I think, was it during the game, the news, the first game, the news came out. So it it came out before that it was going to happen, like that the players had approved it. And since it was the owner's proposal in the first place, we knew the owners were going to approve it, but they didn't actually do so until it was like the game had already started, which is a very baseball thing to make a rules change as the first game's going on. So basically the rundown, uh, 16 playoff teams now, all first and second place teams make it, plus two other wild cards. So with that, the Brewers' playoff odds improved significantly. I think uh, last I thought was like 66% before the game started playing. I don't happen to know what it is right now, but obviously a two and three chance of making the playoffs is, is pretty good to the point where now it's, probably almost disappointing if the brewers don't make the postseason oh it would be uh, a huge disappointment if they didn't yeah, make it at this point exactly yeah, like like you would you would have to assume that they're one of the best eight teams in the national league hopefully but as we talked about a lot of weird stuff can happen in a short season unfortunately i think this kind of takes a lot of the fun out of those five-way tiebreakers at the end of the year but if you were wondering i guess what this would look like if this was in place last year arizona would have made it as an 85 win team as a second place team in the west Stupid uh the mets, diamondbacks yeah the, the mets would have make it would have made it with 86 wins and the cubs would have made it with 84 wins but the real fun is when you look at the al standings where nobody tried last year outside of the top four or five teams <laughs> you would have had the 78 win texas rangers making the playoffs as the second wild card team so I guess general yay or nay on this idea. Do you like it just for this year? Do you want to see it continue going forward? I guess, Paul, what are your thoughts on the playoff format? Uh, nay, this is stupid. Um, uh, <laughs> I, 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 this is this is very like uh, catering to lowbrow American. I think so. Playoffs are, are always a compromise between like fairness and accuracy and excitement because playoffs are exciting. I I'll give them that, but they end up crowning people who aren't very good on a fairly regular basis. Now. There's ways to mitigate against that. Longer series help that out. The NBA 
um, because of the seven game series every round tends to get mostly the right people. But uh, this is compounded by the first round's three games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which, yep. That, three game series. It's like, you, I mean, this is a short season, obviously, but you're playing all these games and then you have a three game series where it's very easy to see a, a super good team getting knocked out by a lesser team because anything can happen in a three game series. Um, and it, it, it just makes a mockery of, of every all the work that's gone in before it. So I am the old man of the podcast. I do not like um, <laughs> uh, like I. I think you need some kind of balance between between a playoff and what the regular season means. I actually really like the way that they have the current wild card where you're punished for not winning your division, but you still have an opportunity to get in because you did do a good amount of good work in the regular season. Fine with that. But uh, th- this is just ridiculous, and it completely devalues the regular season, and you can't even trust the, t- the champions any good at that point. So hate it. Hope it goes away next season. It probably won't because playoffs very rarely contract, and they're worth a lot of money. But uh, I-, I hate it. I'm very against it. I mean, I'm very much with Paul on this because I think the currents that eight is in a sweet spot. So for this season, I don't have any problem with it. It's... It's not ideal, but nothing about this season is ideal. And you're not trying to protect the integrity of a 60-game season. They're, that's not a yeah. thing. Like, you're not... Who cares? Nothing matters. Yeah. Right. Like, it's a 60-game season, so, okay. It, I the, the argument I heard that I like the best about this is this does ensure that some really good team doesn't just have, like, a mediocre record over the course right. of 60 games and then get left out of the playoffs. Like, Fair. this does ensure some of that. So... I think that you take that and it's fine. I think that over the course of 162, you start instituting this sort of a playoff format after that, and you're rendering that regular season just almost right. meaningless. Like it, yep. it really devalues the the rest of the 162, and I hate that. But like Paul said, this. This does seem like a thing that, you know, they're instituting it now under sort of emergency reasons, but things rarely contract back, especially when there's money to be made. They're not going to necessarily go back on it. Now, it does seem like the players were somewhat opposed to this. Like, they they held out and, and fought this. I know that was to get a cut of the money and a bigger cut of the money. Like, that was a big part mm-hmm. of it because yep. baseball players don't, get paid much of the postseason revenue it's actually the big bonanza for owners is you make the postseason you're just printing money in the basement like it's it's amazing it's the entire reason we're playing a season right now yep. by the way is so the owners get the playoff money but yeah right and that's what they want and so that's the priority but i think that there is resistance from the players too because they understand that it does render more meaningless their accomplishments over the course of 162 games and yeah it is basically a coin flip situation for a a three-game series even though like you know so the yankees if they end up being the number one seed in the al they'll get to play all three games at home Mm -hmm. and i that that is at least a, a minimal advantage you would think sure but it's not enough to compensate for the fact that yeah you're probably playing a team that won a significantly lower percentage of their games and all they have to do is you know one good start and one you know bad start by your guy and Mm -hmm. you could be out of the playoffs within a blink of an eye so the one thing it it probably won't result in a ridiculous champion so much as it will result in really good teams going out early and unnecessarily you know like a team still has to get through the four rounds of playoff now 
like they'll still have to go through all of that so it probably will at least sift and winnow out the uh the truly bad <laughs> teams at some point right like a team could get hot uh, you're, you're saying the marlins aren't going to the world series i i god i hope so <laughs> no I, one so wants I, that i i actually disagree with this just because so i and generally speaking, I do agree. In this season, I care less about it than going forward. But this season is more likely to produce wacky regular season results as well. And yeah, more people are making the playoffs. But there's a few. There's a puncher's chance that you may exclude a good team just by the fact that it's a small sample size. Maybe a team gets hit with COVID extra bad. Like if the Yankees get like a half their lineup wiped out for a few weeks, or something like that happens. And then you have that first round series. Like you, you could have a scenario where you have like a couple or more bad teams getting through. And I don't think you necessarily will filter those out. Best of fives are better than best of threes, but not that much better. And uh, I'll, I'll wager right now that I bet we have a stupid champion this year. Uh, I can, it just seems like it's destined to happen. Like uh, I should define who, who like stupid champions would right. Be, uh, right. claim after the fact. Well, yeah, that would be very stupid. Um, <laughs> but uh uh, <laughs> especially since they are but, but a team yeah. already hit hard by covid but like most of their yes. good players are already affected <laughs> right but I, I'll, I'll bet you get like a rangers champion or something this year that just annoys everybody i kind of hope it happens so that they revisit the playoff idea um I'm, I'm i'm kind of on board for either brewers or stupid that's what i'm rooting for <laughs> i do like that most of the public comments made about this are like it's fine for this year from the yeah. especially from the player side because then it makes it seem like it's something they aren't really willing to revisit as Ryan pointed out, but yeah. also it's probably going to be the most powerful bargaining chip in the 2020 CBA negotiations, uh -huh. the 2022 CBA negotiations. So when you have that type of power, like what are you supposed to do? Not use it. That'll be interesting. I think, you know, it, it is good to make sure that Washington or the Yankees or somebody doesn't miss the playoffs with 31 wins, but as Paul was saying, I think one poorly timed bad hit of COVID or injuries or anything like that, and, and you end up with maybe a result. I wouldn't say regrettable, but kind of funny. Uh, I think at this point, <laughs> I think at this point, nobody really cares, right? And but look at Washington. They already are probably missing their first or their best player on what a, at the time appears to be a false positive. Yeah. He tested yeah. negative immediately. It it does look like it's probably a false positive with Juan Soto, yeah. Which is good. I mean, I would much rather see them getting false positives than false negatives. False negatives yes. are dangerous. Yes, yes, yes. A false positive, you can correct that within a few days. And... Agreed completely. But just saying, like, they already have their best player out for three games in terms of playoff impact. Sure. Yeah, yeah. but I think Paul and everybody's right. It, just sort of like the DH at these things tend to not go away necessarily. Well, I don't so want the DH to go away. To... <laughs> don't put thoughts in my mouth, James. I want DH to stay. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I'm, I'm just saying, like, similarly, I, we were all in agreement that, you know, the DH is probably here to stay because this was the opening that the league needed to put it in. Stop and... to take the DH away from me, you son of a bitch. No, no. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're going to have so much fun with the DH this year, although apparently Ryan Brown won't play half the time but we'll, we'll get to that um, it's it's fine but yeah i guess it I, i'm on board with the rest of you like this year who cares whatever it's a weird end to a weird season and yep. if we get the rangers beating the marlins fine and i think that 
to Paul's point, kind of proves just how silly this all is. And yep. I don't think you want to go 16 teams going forward because then who who the hell really cares about a random Wednesday day game in Pittsburgh yeah. in May? You know, <laughs> like real, real quick to add on to that, too. One of the reasons this might stick is not just expanded playoff money, but it would almost certainly have um, have an effect on how much teams spend to remain competitive. Right. Um, if you can actually make the playoffs fairly easily, it, it does not incentivize teams to go out and add those couple extra pieces to get over the hump. And it would probably kill free agent spending even more than it has been already. So right. the owners will be heavily in favor of this because expanded playoffs really allow for them to cheap out. It's, yeah, it's I saw good. people yeah. speculating that it was going to cause teams on the bubble. There would be fewer true tanking situations, but I don't know that that's even true. I, I think that the, nothing would I stop the, the Orioles from being really super shitty. Like that's not, it would not. And I saw a lot of like ESPN idiots commentating on like trying to spread the common wisdom that it would increase spending by having more teams in the run to make no, it. That's, ridi- it. that's ridiculous. No. Um, and anytime you hear that, just, just ignore it. It's just stupid. Um, it, it will, it will definitely keep spending down, not drive it up. Right. Exactly. Because like your, your point of improved benefits lessens when, you know, like what's the point in adding a Mookie bets when you're, or when you're like already the Dodgers, agent, when you're already one of the 16, like, is it really worth it to move from second seed to first seed or, you know, like second place right. to first place if you're all in any way? Yeah, so, it, it, it does not incentivize becoming a great team because being a good team is just fine. Being good is right. all you need to do in that situation. And there's enough randomness where you can be good and be a champion or, like, no be, or be great and NBA. lose in the first round. Like exactly that. Yeah, it, it does. So it will definitely curtail things on the high end, even if it does maybe boost up the middle class a little bit in terms of their spending and their incentives. Yeah. Net, it's not going to be positive to make sure Brewers fans are still on the same train as us. They still would have been playing the nationals last year in this format, right? <laughs> like they would have been the fifth team. Nationals would have been the fourth team. That's how the seeds line up, right? Except we would have gotten to play a three-game series instead of a three-game series instead of one. Doesn't matter. (laughs) Doesn't matter. (laughs) You saw the Nationals last year. They beat everyone in the last chance. (laughs) That's true. Yeah. It's uh. Yeah. That's science. They would have been game three instead of game one. That's fine. All right, we got a lot of uh, Patreon questions to get to, kind of dealing with the start of the season too. So our good friend Jay Google. Again, first at the Patreon questions, asking, do you think Craig Council is more likely to rotate the leadoff spot or settle in on the same guy at some point? Uh, So for context, the lineup for Sunday is out. Eric Sogard, again, leading off. So that's three for three. Does that influence your thoughts on this at all, Paul? Or do you think he's going to keep shuffling at the top of the lineup too? So I I think almost nothing is static with Council, and this is just what they're doing to, to start off on this go around, I, I do think it will not be so guard all the time. I, I will say it's it's a pretty good pick. Uh, he's had a a good on base percentage so far for the team, but I still think you'll see a lot of lineup variation once we get deeper into the season. Um, it j- j- just happens to be what he's starting off with, and I'm sure that they they'll react once they have a little more data and see a few more different pitching matchups. So I'll be surprised if he is as set as some of the previous managers. He hasn't been in the past. You got to have something set in paper to start things off. That's all this is. And yes, I am annoyed that Smoke is hitting fourth every game. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to sneak that in. But he did, he did First go yard, day, it seemed so. like a troll to you, and it's been all three days Smoke it, has yep. hit cleanup. 
clean but up. Yeah, he did. Smoke. He did homer. He did. Is that his only hit so far this year? I think it's like one for eight. I don't know. I could be wrong. He but has two. He has two. He has two hits. Okay. Yeah. You're following along closely. It's all good. Yeah. <laughs> I guess Ryan, uh, are are you surprised that he's stuck with Sogard three games in a row? Do you think? there's going to be some shuffling at the top or oh there will definitely be shuffling we're going to see we were talking about this just before we started that they're going to see two lefties to start their series in pittsburgh starting on monday and which will probably knock sogard out right yeah you would think so it'll be jed jerko will be in third base and i would really highly doubt that jerko leads off so you'll get a shuffle not yeah i mean maybe maybe we see lorenzo kane move back up to the top against lefties that could be a thing especially if he's i'll bet that's what it is Right. And if it is Jerko, it's definitely trolling me. So then we know that everybody listens <laughs> to this podcast on the Brewers. So. But I think right. that the thing that I like about Sogard up top is not just he, he did take a couple walks on Saturday. And and that is definitely something you want, even if the overall numbers like aren't great yet at this point. Uh, you do want a guy who's who's disciplined at the top. And that's a big thing is you do want somebody to kind of set the tone at the top of your lineup with taking pitches and making a pitcher work and not letting a guy get like settled in right away into a game. And that's, that is what he did. You really saw it on Saturday, obviously Friday he didn't. And that I think had more to do with the fact that Hendricks was just amazing than anything else. Like nobody else hit him either, except for Orlando Arcia. Yep. So, you know. <laughs> yep. Sogard he leads the team in walks with two. Do you know who's second? I haven't been paying that close attention. Smoke with walks. one. The answer is everyone with zero. Everyone with zero. <laughs> Sogard's the only one to take a walk. Oh wow! Great. I thought there was one more, and I was going through it because I thought it was like later in the order, but that makes sense. I mean, oh, Hendricks didn't walk anybody. I, maybe I have my sword on wrong here. No, I don't think it. I think it's zero. I but think Darvish had two walks. Smoke's got zero. So, yep, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine that the Craig Council, who has like 17 different lineups a month, is going to bat Sogard lead off every single game. I think this is just uh, things that he thinks are positionally advantageous against the Cubs and who they are. And three righties. Yeah. Yep, I, I can't imagine this change. I think Ryan's exactly right that the platoon will switch it over. And it I think it just is what it is to this point. Well, hey, you know, people aren't going to be listening to this until after the Brewers face Tyler Chatwood. So I bet you that that uh, stat about <laughs> only having two walks is going to be not true anymore. T- Tyler Chatwood, not a command control guy. Nah. Neither is Freddy. We're in for a four-hour yep. Sunday game, I think. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Hey, uh, if Freddy's on, it'll be like 15 strikeouts. That is true. That's Through true. four innings. <laughs> that doesn't even, that's a number that can't even happen. <laughs> that's true. I will say, you know, even though Sogard's let off all three games and Smoke's hit cleanup all three games, there is, you know, technically three different lineups every day so i think we're seeing a lot of that shifting and tinkering and you know we we kind of talked we had the prop bet on i guess uh ryan braun at dh and that kind of thing and i think we all kind of maybe miss or underestimated how often craig council would use that dh spot to give somebody rest and we've had three different dhs on three different days so i think that seems to be on track too yeah uh, Speaking we'll, of the props, we'll what has been settled so far? So we know that Brandon Woodruff uh, gave up the strikeout. first. And the first strikeout was who? 
Uh, that would be uh, Keston. Was it Keston? Was it yeah. Okay. Alex Claudio. I got Alex Claudio first relief appearance, so that was <laughs> that was my one shining moment. Well done. Other. Yeah. First I'm home surprised. run. Know that one very well. Yep. I had that one. So. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I had Kane for first strikeout. I did too. Uh, yeah. Today we might decide first challenge. I think a, a lot of us took three or four for that game. Three oh, or four. Oh sure. Oh, so I had seven right. plus, so they need to make it to Miller Park. Two game hitting streak probably also on the line on Sunday, because uh, yep, it is a lot of a lot more people got hits on Saturday. Wait a second, so, did Arcia yeah, every, get a hit on Saturday? I don't think Arcia got a hit on Saturday, did he? He did not. Um, every Brewer except Arcia got a hit on Saturday. Because that's, that's how he that's, works. That's, <laughs> that's exactly how he works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we'll see how that goes on. Another lineup question from patreon pj wessels asking what was more surprising seeing christian yelich dh in game two or lorenzo kane not leading either game off brad how about you first oh definitely kane for me i remember actually being kind of floored that sogard was at the top of the lineup first day because as we talked about actually in i believe in the prop bets or in the season preview i i think the loyalty that council has shown to his players part of that incorporates his loyalty to putting them in favorable positions so then to see kane in eighth not just that in leadoff but in eighth yeah was very surprising to me so yelich getting if ryan braun's not playing giving yelich a day off of the field isn't that flooring especially with how hot ben gamble was coming out of the uh, summer camp so it well it was surprising just i think more i think the more surprising thing was that ryan braun was already having a day off in game two than it was yelich in the dh well ryan day braun is off again game. he's yeah. off so, two straight days now so. is ryan braun is he kevin mensch is that what we're dealing with here <laughs> is, is, i mean his head isn't as is big this, just lefty well, specialist obviously. But is he going to be just platoon like that? I don't think so, because uh, he started opening day. I don't know if it'll well, be a strict he, platoon, but who knows? That's true. He, he did. But uh, I kinda, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's been I, surprising. And he's off today, too, right? He's out yeah. of the lineup today. He's out on Sunday. Yeah, I, I had kind of chalked the Saturday day off as being a noon game after a night game, but sort of like an old catcher thing, which yeah. even though he's DHing, whatever. But I don't know. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to bet that we do see him more frequently in Pittsburgh with all the left-handed pitching. I, I do think it's more of kind of a matchup thing with Craig right now. My guess I is it's something just, physical too. Like he yeah. probably just has a nagging injury right now already. I mean, right. it, it's get the he, hot guys in and keep Ryan Braun healthy, right? Logan Morrison and Ben Gamble were the hot bats in summer camp. Get them in and keep Ryan Braun healthy. Sure. Yeah. And, and Gamble did come through in his first start on Saturday. So, you know, uh, It'll be interesting to see how much he plays because if, if his change is for real, I think we talked about this a week or two ago too. It's just hard to see the at-bats there to get him in so frequently if the change is real. Uh, but two starts in three days, so they're finding a way. Yeah, I mean, he, he does have all three outfield positions to play with now because Ryan Braun is basically exclusively, I think, going to be a DH. He's rarely going to see time in the outfield unless there's injuries or whatever. I'm not going to say never, but it, it seems like he's mostly a DH. Right. So a lot to see 
what's ahead. You know, we're only two games in, so we're we're yeah. still kind of projecting a little bit. But next week, we should have a lot more to talk about as we get a full slate of games, hopefully, at least. I'm not going to be sure about anything. I think we're going to take this <laughs> season one week at a time yeah. and see what happens. I do think I, when they face their first lefty that the lineup will be like 100, not 100% different, but so very, very, very different. And it'll be interesting to see what that actually looks like for the, the lefty squad. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think one of the things I've liked seeing, too, is Yelich consistently batting second with the DH in, in effect, you know, so get a more at bats and chance to get more runners on, too. So I think I, I've appreciated seeing that as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what maybe, we might see eventually is Lorenzo Kane moving into the nine spot as a second leadoff hitter, two spots uh, in front of Yelich. Yeah. Like I could the see that second leadoff hitter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could see that being a thing and them telling him, like, this is where we think you can do the most good and him being okay with it probably hopefully <laughs> yeah I, I don't know well <laughs> i don't think he'll complain at all but it'll be interesting to see i think i think craig will mess around with things a little bit more too yeah. maybe especially against someone like pittsburgh where it's like eh, we're probably gonna win anyway but uh <laughs> I, I i think the early early part of the season too is going to be where you get a lot of that tinkering before you kind of find the the lineup that meshes but it wouldn't surprise me to see i'm surprised we didn't have a prop bet on different number of lineups because i would bet like 55 different lineups in 60 games would be a very craig council thing oh yeah especially with the expanded roster early on exactly yeah it exactly i wouldn't i wouldn't be shocked at 60 different lineups true true especially different dh every day yeah so a lot to look forward to. If you have something you want us to talk about, we do put out a call for questions every week on our Twitter account at MKE Tailgate. Just rep- reply to that tweet with your question, or you can follow each of us on Twitter as well and send us the questions. Ryan is at RDTop. Paul is at Badger Noonan. Brad is at Brew Crew Blue. And I'm at James L. That's James with a Y. And a reminder, if you do listen enjoy listening to us you can help support the podcast by becoming a patron go to patreon.com slash mke tailgate and you'll get priority when we send out that call for questions and you get a shout out when you do sign up speaking of ryan we do have a new patron this week to shout out yep welcome uh vinnie cornels we think cornels c-o-r-n-i-l-s this is this has now become a bit with the name pronunciations but hey vinnie thank you for signing up yep and he had a question that he sent via a message when he signed up as opposed to putting it in the uh, in the call for questions. So Sure. Perfect. Yeah. So I guess he's asking, are you guys as jacked about Brandon Woodruff as he is? Uh, so I w- we Vinny have very, to assume he's jacked about Brandon Woodruff. I, I assume yeah. Vinny is very jacked about Brandon Woodruff. So I guess, uh, Brad, are you excited about Brandon Woodruff this year, maybe taking another step? Yes, uh, I projected him to win a Cy Young, but uh, based on he did the first take him to win a Cy Young, that's wow. Right. So yes, you are. Uh, based, uh, Brad I'm is Jack. Based on more based on a funky year, but I mean your your timing on this, Vinny. Uh, I'm very happy you're a patron. Welcome, we appreciate you. But your timing on it is uh, unfortunate because of what we saw on Friday it made things a little more unfortunate going into this however yes i think he's incredibly talented and i'm thrilled he's a brewer well i mean he wasn't bad on friday he just wasn't super sharp and the it ace felt that... like watching giovanni garrido <laughs> oh i heard why well, totally did <laughs> people talking about that in my direct message chat about burns yesterday because that was very the, the walks a very and yo. The, 
yeah, yeah. the walks, walks and, and strike the wildness and, and hitting a batter. Yeah. Freddie Peralta probably won't be like that today, though. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Freddie Peralta is either going to be an uh, inning of chaos or five innings of perfection. It's, yeah. That's all you get with him. <laughs> 30 pitches of terror in the first inning. No, I, I'm excited about Brandon Woodruff, but I think, you know, opening day was kind of an example of why maybe some people see him topping out as like a number two starter is just the consistency factor. Right. Uh, so until he improves that control and maybe gets more swings and misses, I, we talked about maybe part of that is just the Cubs lineup being very difficult. You're not going to get a lot of swings and misses against the Cubs overall. At the same time, Corbin Burns got more than one. So we'll see. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'm still high on Brandon Woodruff and it was really hard not to be high on him when you're seeing him pump like 99 mile an hour two seamers in there yeah, so indeed. like that that was impressive to see Vinny, to answer your question everybody is more jacked about everything than i am so you are definitely more jacked about <laughs> Brandon Woodruff than i am Paul's um, the buzz kill. <laughs> but but uh but but i i mean i do think he's the best brewer like number one starter they've had in a very long time so still still very excited for him being on the team on a scale of Manny Parra to Giovanni Gardo to Ben Sheets, where do you put <laughs> Brandon Woodruff? Oh, geez. I, I, I would say between um, Gallardo and Sheets. I think he is better than Gallardo. His stuff, like with just the velocity, should play up better than that. And I think we, we've seen him be better than Giovanni's, you know, five inning, 110 pitch performances um, so far already. Um, I don't think... I don't think he'll get to Sheets level, but uh, I, I do like him to be better than the median there. So, Yeah, I think Good that play. that's fair. I, I would put him closer to Yovani than Sheets probably, though yeah. that's also because Yovani gets underrated. I think the way I his time yeah. finished with the Brewers really kind of clouds things. But what he was from 2009 to like 2012 was a really yeah. damn good pitcher, a guy that you did not have any issues with starting game one or two of a playoff series like that yep, wasn't right. a problem we we're right. perfectly the happy issue with him was that he only went five or six innings other than that he was stellar like it's not like right. he was getting blown up for four or five runs every game it was just like wow he's so good i wish he was going deeper right which right. was also already changing at that point starts were getting shorter and i think people were comparing him to their idea of historically what an ace was instead of what an ace was becoming Right. Yeah. Like what a, a top of the line starter was becoming was different at that point. You know, Roy Halladay and his 250 innings a year aside, nobody else was really doing that. You guys were not working as deep as well, they had been. Yep. I think the issue is you alongside him, the other pitcher, like you're you're comparing him against the best pitchers in the National League. And at the time, you have the arrival of Kershaw and Kershaw, because mm -hmm. he's so efficient, is going seven or eight innings. So you're looking at Yovani and you're like, I want our own Clayton Kershaw. Yovani, be Clayton Kershaw. Right. The, it's just asking any too much because Kershaw is a generational pitching talent. I mean, Kershaw is literally the best starter in baseball history with over 100 innings or sorry, with over a thousand innings in terms of ERA plus. Literally yeah, the best in talent. baseball mm -hmm. history. Like the only pitcher who has a thousand innings who is better than him in ERA plus is Mariano Rivera. So, and he's like the only modern pitcher who's adjusted to losing like four miles per hour on their fastball. True, also. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. been phenomenal at making those adjustments and staying. It's funny because people are like, wow, well, Clayton Kershaw's lost a step. And then you go look at his numbers and it's like, oh, yeah, he's still one of the best pitchers in baseball. Oh, he's just not striking out 300 people a year. Right. And that's losing a step. <laughs> right. Sorry, his ERA is 2.5 instead of 1.9 now. Wow, <laughs> big step.
Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I, I think uh, Yo especially gets a bad rap because more fans remember him for his descent into Doug Davis-dom more mm-hmm. than the early 2009 to 2012 aspect, yeah. like you said, where he, he, you know, that NLDS against the Diamondbacks, he was lights out, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's easy to forget. But it's, it's funny to me, like, Yo is my big complaint about how the playoffs were handled more so. Everyone references Mark Kotze in center field, but my big play, like, constant complaint about the playoffs is that in the 2008 NLDS, they start Supon when they were willing to pitch Yo. They yeah. bring Giovanni out in relief after it's too late, mm-hmm. but you started Jeff Supon? <laughs> well, they, that's why they signed him to pitch the playoff games, right? I, I, so. But still, like, but, yeah. I, mean, it, it I wish Swain would have had a bad so bad. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're I really Swain going back. A pitcher. You know what bothers me about that one is that they chose to throw Sabathia for like the fifth straight time on short rest in philadelphia and he clearly was just gassed at that point and like and if they had started him in game three instead then yeah you don't have him available for game five unless you know maybe it's out of the uh the bullpen for a short stint but you're actually getting your stud workhorse in form as opposed to trying to eke out yet another start out of him but then Dave Bush doesn't get the first Brewers playoff win in 26 years. Uh, great <laughs> trivia answer. Well, Dave I Bush may Dave have Bush gotten too. the first playoff Dave win in good. Philadelphia. Oh, by um, the way, did you guys know Dave Bush is now the pitching coach for the Red Sox? Yes, he and is. Yes, wow. he is. And he is uh, because his role before was that uh, that go between between the front office and the players to like bring them their data and information. And they just decided, nah, we'll just make you the pitching coach. So Dave nice. Bush is very, he's a very heady guy. Prettiest curveballs, one of them that I've seen. I, I just love the Dave Bush curveball. Uh, it's a Shane shame Victorino that. struck, or it was, I think it was actually Jason Worth struck out in a spiked curveball that he put like six feet in front of the plate in uh, that series. And it was it's amazing. Fantastic. The <laughs> other piece of trivia that got ruined for me is my favorite trivia question to ask before this season was who was the last Wisconsin native to play for the Brewers? Uh, Every everyone answers Craig Council. Craig Council no, actually Miller. born in Indiana. No, 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 no. no. It is not. No. Uh, Ryan or Paul? Do you care to take nope. a shot? No, I don't know where from. Native. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know who is it. Vinny Rotino. Oh, oh yeah, good call. Okay. It got ruined this weekend by Fire Rising, friend of the show. Yep. Making his debut. <laughs> Yeah, no. Also, kind of an encouraging outing. I mean, he did give up the home run, didn't yeah, he? But, yeah, but, but like he's also <laughs> struck out. He looked good. Anyway, <laughs> well, thanks for the, the question, Vinny, not Retino, but Cornels. Thank you for being a patron. <laughs> Vinny, if you and anybody else listening haven't already, please do subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, anywhere else you listen to your podcast, please do subscribe. And while you're there, please leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. In the meantime, we've got a lot more baseball to look forward to this week, so we'll be back with a lot more to talk about next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. In the meantime, stay well, and we'll see you then.